0: Scripture reading for this morning is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, You may be seated. Well, a couple weeks ago, we finished up a series on gospel culture. Gospel culture, again, is the shared experience of God's grace by undeserving sinners. We said that gospel culture forms as gospel doctrine. The message of God's grace for undeserving sinners is taken to heart. And last week, and again this morning, we've been talking about the things where we tend to—the areas of the heart where where gospel doctrine meets the most resistance— when it comes to how we use our money, and when it comes to how we use our time. Those are areas where gospel doctrine, the truth of the gospel, well, it's where the rubber tends to meet the road in terms of the expression of gospel culture within any local body of Christ. Now, we're looking at Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul had spent the entirety of that portion of Romans talking about the indicatives, the things that are true. Concerning the Gospel, concerning who God is, concerning who Jesus is, concerning what Jesus did for His own, concerning what it means to be united to Christ, what it means to have died with Christ and risen with Christ, to now be dead to sin and alive to Christ. All these things that are true concerning the gospel. That's what Paul has been doing in verses one, or chapters one through 11. And then beginning here in verse, sorry, chapter 12, through the rest of the book, Paul talks about the imperatives, the things that we're commanded to do. So he started, you know, first two verses of Romans chapter 12 talking about what we're to do with our bodies. Our body is to be bodies or be consecrated to God. In light of the grace that's been unpacked, the indicatives in chapters 1 through 11... Chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2, Paul immediately goes into the implications of that, the commands, the response in light of God's grace that ought to take place when it comes to our physical bodies. But, but then he immediately shifts in verse 3 to talk about our life together in the body that is Jesus Christ. We're, we're meant to tie those two things together, our bodies and the body of Jesus Christ. That's what the word for is there for in verse 3, for by the grace given to me. He's, He's meant to bridge from what came before it to where we're at right now in the passage. In other words, what he's saying is that part of what it means to be consecrated unto God is to be consecrated into community. What's implicit, however? In both of those, being consecrated unto God and being consecrated into community, what's implicit is how we use our time. There must be a consecration of your time if you're going to be a person consecrated unto God and into community. We have to recognize that everything about us as Christians is to be given over to God, including our time, as we look at this morning now, I'm not preaching a sermon on time management. <laughs> That's not what Paul does. Paul does not go from talking about consecrating ourselves unto God, being consecrated unto God, and into the community, to then talk about you know, time management. He, he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is give us a compelling reminder of what should be motivating us to sacrificially give our time to one another, and then he paints a picture. He gives us a compelling portrait a vision of the church as the body of Christ. It's the metaphor that he uses most frequently throughout his letters, the church as the body of Christ. So I want to pick up that vision of the church as the the body of Christ in three different ways. I want to talk about the church this morning as a body in motion, as a body in motion. Second, as a body fully engaged. And then third, the church as a body that responds to its head. So a church in motion, a church is a body in motion, the church is a body fully engaged, and then the church is a body that responds to its head. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning. We do pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from this portion of your word, that by your spirit you would apply to our hearts, that we might respond in faith and with praise and joy to everything that you command us to do here in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first, the church is a body in motion. Uh, Usain Bolt is still the fastest human being on the planet. In 2009, in Berlin, he ran the, set the world record for the uh, 100-meter sprint, 9.58 seconds. That's 23.25 miles per hour. But keep in mind, that's the average over the distance. Like, he started from zero, the average was 23.25. By the end of the race, he had reached a top speed of 27.33 miles an hour. When you leave here, not in the parking lot, but when you're out on the road, just note in you know, your speedometer when you're like 25, 26, 27 miles an hour, and then look over and imagine Usain Bolt, you know, waving as you're cruising along. That's how fast the dude was running. And that was 2009. Nobody's run faster ever since. Think about Usain Bolt. Think about his body in motion, right? Think about his, his quadriceps supporting the body of his weight as each foot hits the ground. Think about his calf muscles lifting his foot off the ground. Think about his hamstrings pulling his leg down as he takes each step. Think about his arms and his legs, his shoulders in motion, right? Everything is moving. It's, it's glorious. It's to God be the glory for creating Usain Bolt to run that way, but it's, it's glorious what he's able to do. But but what is the glory of Usain Bolt, it's not the fact that he has a body who can move that that can move that fast. It's that he moves that fast. That he's a body in motion. That the the unity, the diversity of all the parts. That the unity of the parts within him. The the harmony is that each work together to move him down the track. That's the glory of Usain Bolt, and that's the vision that Paul's giving us in verses four and five of this passage. Take a look with me again at verses four and five. Paul writes there, for as in one body we have many members, or that could be tr- simply translated parts, many parts, and the parts do not all have, or the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one of another he envisions there what he saw in the church in rome and what he sees throughout the churches in asia minor minor as they're forming and what exists within the church of christ today a diversity of people of backgrounds of ages of experiences of gifts an essential unity because we're all one in christ and therefore members one of another as he says in this passage as well A unity, a harmony, a glory as each part of the body does its part. We don't all function the same way. We don't all do each and every function, but we function together. And when we function together in harmony, it's glorious. So what is the glory of the church? It's not merely the fact that the church is designed this way. Just as the glory of Usain Bolt was not simply the fact that he was designed to run fast, it was because he ran fast. And so too, the church is a church that's on the move. The old hymn, The Church is One Foundation, there's that line in it One day the church victorious shall be the church at rest. Until that day, we're on the move, displaying and expanding the kingdom of God in the world. The church is a body in motion. But second, the church is a body fully engaged. Now, I spent a lot of years wrestling, and i got to admit, I miss wrestling. I get enough of a taste of it when I wrestle my son. Um, He's a lot stronger than I am, but he never wrestled, and so I know things that he doesn't know about wrestling. So if if this can happen within the first 45 seconds, I, I can win the match. But from that point on, it's just like, you know, I'm tapping out, it's over. I I, I give up. Now, if you've watched wrestling, I mean real wrestling, not big-time wrestling, not WWE. I've got a fellow pastor who's now in um, Tennessee, and he used to be here in New York State. We used to go back and forth all the time, because he would tell me all about big-time wrestling from the 80s, and I would say, that's not wrestling. Real wrestling is what you see in the Olympics. Real wrestling is what you see, you know, in high school, middle school stuff around here. Real wrestling's collegiate wrestling. That's real wrestling. And if you if you watch that, then you can't help but notice that the entire body is engaged. Like all of you is engaged in the the, the match. Right? If you haven't wrestled yourself, you may not recognize that the most important part of the body that's engaged in wrestling is actually the part that you don't tend to pay attention to, and that's the hips. It's the hips. You see the hands, you know, defending, fighting people off, grabbing. You see, you see the arms, you know, on a, on a takedown. I'm starting to get juiced up. I want to wrestle somebody, you know. You see, you see the legs as a person, you know, kind of launches off on a, on a double leg or a fireman's carry. You see, you see everything in motion. You don't tend to pay attention to the hips. But if the hips aren't engaged, no takedowns blocked, no hold is escaped, no advantage is gained, without the hips being engaged. If the hips aren't engaged, you're being incredibly ineffective. I'm starting to sound like my coach now. You're being incredibly ineffective and inefficient. You're ineffective because if if the other person's hips is probably engaged, are, are properly engaged, you're not going to be able to move them. And inefficient because you're trying to, you know, launch somebody, if you're trying to move somebody without your hips being engaged, then you're not using a lever like you should. You're, you're learning more about wrestling than what you need right now. Anyway, how do you apply it? How does this apply to the church? Just as in wrestling, all of the body must be engaged, especially the parts not normally paid attention to because they're the most important, so too with the church. The entire body must be engaged especially the parts of the body that we don't tend to pay attention to. This is what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 and 22. Let me read it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. If you are a Christian, you're called to be part of the body. Don't think that it's only those that are are on the stage or that are teaching Sunday school that are the most critical to the work of the body of Christ here at Grace Church. We're all integral to the work that Jesus is doing to build up his church, every one of us, and the body can't function without you. That includes the gifts of our children. Now, little children have an opportunity to learn what it means to be part of the body of Christ by by coming alongside and serving in various ways, in various ways that are, you know, attuned to where they are in their development. But we have children who are young who have professed faith in Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in them. They, consequently, have been given gifts that are intended by God to be used in some way appropriately within the body of Jesus Christ. We should not look at these, you know, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds who have professed faith in Christ, are indwelt by the Spirit of God, as though they are not integral to the work of the body of Jesus Christ here at Grace Church. If they have been gifted, if they've been regenerated by the Spirit, the Spirit dwells in them, they have gifts that have been given and are called to serve, called to serve. And consequently, we're called to provide opportunities for all kinds of people, regardless of ability, regardless of age, and dwelt by the Spirit of God to serve. They're integral to the work of Christ here in this place. As with wrestling, all the diverse parts of the body must be fully engaged. So Paul gives us a little bit of a glimpse of that here in this passage. Take a look with me at verse 6. He says in verse 6, Having gifts that differ. What are these gifts? A spiritual gift. These Spiritual gifts, he's talking, they're given to us by God. They're spiritual gifts. Here's a definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability and desire for ministry given by God for regular, and note that I didn't say perpetual, never-ending, world without end, amen, amen. Regular and fruitful use to build up the body of Christ. Let me read it again. A spiritual gift is an ability and desire for ministry given by God for regular and fruitful use to build up the body of Christ or to build up the church. Again, spiritual because they're given by God. You see them listed in several places in scripture, of course here in in Romans 12, also in 1 Corinthians 12, which I quoted from earlier, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, among among other places. But if you look at those lists, what you're going to notice is they don't directly overlap. It's not like each one lists every gift. There's some overlap, but there's not complete overlap. There's some gifts that are mentioned on this list that aren't mentioned on that list. What do we take from that? I think The thing to take from that is that these lists are representative, not exhaustive. They're they're representative. This is one of the reasons why we don't do spiritual gift inventories around here. You may have used those in previous churches. They're very limiting. That assumes that we can list every spiritual gift when Scripture just gives us, I think, a, a, a representation of gifts and not an exhaustive list. Of gifts, they're also limiting because if you take one of those things, you may think, "Okay, I've got the gift of, um, of of mercy," and so therefore God couldn't possibly use me to to teach or to encourage or exhort one another, and and that's 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 limiting. It's, it's allowing a, a an external tool to limit what God may choose to do through his people at any given moment. So you, you won't see those. If you come to the Exploring Grace Seminar when we talk about spiritual gifts, I'm not going to hand you a gifts inventory. I'm going to encourage you to just jump in and serve. But more on that in a minute. What does Paul tell us in Romans 12? Let's come back to there. Verses 6 through 8. I'll read it again for us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, of service in our service, serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see a kind of a, a representation here. Some speak for God. Gifts of prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Some perform acts of service. They're serving or they're giving. Others govern, they provide leadership. Still others perform acts of mercy. It's verses six through eight that captures all of those. When you look at 1 Peter 4, Peter just says, you know, whether your gifts are doing gifts or speaking gifts. I mean, it's just broad categories, right? But when people are engaging with their gifts in the broader work of the body of Christ, the body is fully engaged, fully engaged as we think about what Grace Church is called to do in this given moment, at this given time, in this given place, whatever God's calling us to do, God God supplies what he requires. Always. God supplies what he requires. The gifts that are needed within the body of Christ to do the work of God by Grace Church in this place are here. Here. When we hire staff, it's simply to better mobilize and organize the gifts within the body, not to supplant the gifts within the body. But the work that God is calling, the work that God has for us as a church, the the gifts that are needed to accomplish that work, they're here. And if there's something lacking, he'll bring those people with those gifts to do the work that he's giving us to do church is a body in motion, the church is fully engaged, and then finally, the church is a body responsive to its head. Um, Think think about the way our our bodies respond. Think about the relationship between the body and the brain as as responsive, in a sense. Some of that responsiveness is completely involuntary. You have not, for the last however many minutes, had to think about making sure your heart is beating. That, That just happens, but, but some of our, this mind-body connection, this, this responsiveness of the body to the head, some of that is voluntary. Yeah, football season is upon us. Go Bills. All right? Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow night, hopefully, Stefan Diggs is just going to run all kinds of routes. He's, he's going to leave, you know, Sauce Gardner in his wake, and, and he's going to catch a lot of passes and score a lot of touchdowns. That's, that's what we're all hoping, right? When Stefan Diggs is running route, and, and Josh Allen gets ready to throw, there, there's neurons that begin to send signals from Stefan Briggs' brain out into the rest of his body. There's a change in electrical charge on the membranes of his cells that pass along the axon's membrane at several, different, several hundred miles per hour. Like Things are just happening within his body. At the end of each axon, a neurotransmitter is released. They bind to special receptors on the cells of the muscles, and the muscles contract. In that sense, the muscles respond to the head by raising the hands to catch the pass. In the same way, the body of Christ must be responsive to its head. Not me, not the elders, not ministry team leaders, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body, his church, not anyone else. God sends signals, he sends commands through his word to his body, the church. Signals or commands such as use your gifts to pursue one another's good. That's 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Use your gifts to build one another up in love. That's Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Use your gifts to serve one another. That's 1 Peter 4, where Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. Verse 10, use your gifts to bear one another's burdens. That's Paul in Galatians 6, 2. We're all gifted, each one of us gifted in some way to be part of the body's response to its head Jesus Christ. That often happens individually. It's it's offline. It's unseen as, as we care for one another in ways that none of us know about, but it's also to be something that's coordinated within the body. And the stream team, you're going to hear more about what the stream team is doing. Um, the stream team, they're looking to how we can streamline our systems and our structures so that the response of the body in a coordinated way to what Jesus is directing us to do with our gifts can be as efficient as possible. You'll be hearing more from the stream team. They've been meeting over the past, you know, several months to kind of look at where things are. How can we tighten this up? How can we streamline it so that the gifts are being used in the most efficient and effective way possible within the church? All right. Here's the question. How do we respond? Like, what's next? This is all, you know, great, compelling. I mean, I find it compelling. I I just, I love the church. and I love this church. I see the potential within this church for God to do so many wonderful things, all in alignment with the the gifts that he's brought to this body in this place at this time. But how, how do we respond as individual Christians? First, Paul tells us, check your heart. This is, this is true for every one of us. Whether you're serving presently or not serving, every one of us needs to check our heart. Look at verse 3 with me again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He's saying there, don't let anything be done for self-promotion. None of what we're doing in serving within the church is to be done to exalt self You, the moment we think, you know, grace couldn't get by without me, grace couldn't get by without my gifts, we're doing this for self-promotion. There's actually a flip side to that. Actually, Paul doesn't directly mention it here. I think Peter does in First Peter four, but the, the the flip side of that is having too low a view of yourself, which is still self-centeredness. Whether you're thinking too highly about yourself or thinking too lowly about yourself, it's both self-centeredness. The, the call is to think less of yourself and more of others. And so, on the one hand, to say, surely can't get, you know, grace can't get by without my gifts is, is self-centeredness. But to say, surely grace doesn't need my gifts is, is also a form of self-centeredness. If you're here, if you're a Christian... God's got you here for a reason. Your gifts are needed, integral to the work that he's doing here in this place. So let nothing be done for self-promotion. But then remember, the gifts are all gifts of grace. Paul says in verse 3, for by the grace given to me. In verse 6, having gifts that giver according to the grace, differ according to the grace given to us. If these gifts are given to us by grace, there's no room to boast, is there? Yeah, you know, we don't. We don't come in here saying, I, you know, I'm a, i am aii excel in business, and so therefore I'm obviously gifted to work in finances here, or I excel as a teacher, you know, in the university or public school or home school or private school setting. Therefore, I'm clearly someone who's gifted to teach here. No, these are. Gifts of the spirit that are given to edify the body. That in of itself is a spiritual activity that God chooses to do. It's, it's not about directly your talents. It's about God's grace toward you to be used to build up his church here at Grace. So it's, it's a gift of God's grace. But if it's by grace, then there's no room to doubt the value of your gift either, is there? It's, your gifts are valuable because they're given by God. So let nothing be done for self-promotion. Remember the gifts are gifts of grace. Let everything be done for love. Now, we didn't read verses 9 through 11, but Paul you know, immediately moves into let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Okay? So check your heart. Make sure that what you're doing is not being done for self-promotion. Remember, the gifts are all gifts of God's grace. And let everything you do be done for love. But then second, jump right in. Jump right in. The best way to identify your gifts is by serving. Uh, Juan Sanchez, in an article that you can find at the Gospel Coalition on Spiritual Gifts, says, you know, first, find out what kind of help the church needs. Start there. So let me encourage you, if you'd like to know what kind of help the church needs, sorry, Catherine, don't worry, wherever you are, email office at Grace Church PCA, and she will make sure that request gets to the right person to be able to respond to the question that you have concerning what does Grace Church need right now? Find out what the church needs. Pray that the Lord will raise up people to meet that need. You're going to find out all kinds of needs. First, pray that the Lord will raise up people to meet those needs. And then ask the Lord in prayer is he calling you to serve in one of those areas? Ask yourself what you enjoy doing. I don't believe that the use of spiritual gifts are meant to be a drudgery, they're all, to varying degrees, mundane. Like, there aren't going to be books written about our use of our spiritual gifts here at Grace Church. So let's just remember that. But that doesn't mean that what we do is meant to be, you know, drudgery. I think the use of spiritual gifts according to God's design for his purpose in a church ought to bring a sense of joy. So ask yourself, what do I enjoy? What gets me excited about serving Grace Church? Seek the advice of mature Christians around you. Do you see this in me? Is this something you think I should... Try. And then just jump in. (laughs) Jump in. You'll learn. Those around you will learn. Is this something that I'm gifted to do? And if not, there'll be other places to serve. So the church is a body in motion. The church is a body fully engaged. The church is responsive to its head, Jesus Christ. God has been calling a people to himself throughout every generation. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet, Jesus is pleased to have us be part of his plan to build his church. It's mind boggling. But God loves to display his glory through our weakness. And one of the ways that he displays his glory through our weakness is by inviting us to participate in his work of building his church, which is the hope of the world because the church carries the message of Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll catch just a little bit of the vision that Paul has for us in Scripture of what the church is called to be, that you will see that you're actually integral to the work that God is seeking to do in building his church here at Grace Church, and that you'll respond out of love for Jesus and love for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to be your own. Lord, we thank you for calling us into a saving relationship with you. But Lord, you've called us into relationship with one another. You've gifted us in certain ways that we might play an integral role in the functioning of your body here at Grace Church in this place and time. And Lord, I pray that we would see the value of devoting our time to the work that you are doing here recognizing that we are actually part of your plan for doing your work here in this place. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.